following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know, I watched a movie this week, and I don't know if it's a new movie, because these days, what really is a new movie? I don't think they even have theaters anymore. So, so when you see a movie, you, you don't know if, if, if it's like a theatrical release or what. All I know is that you can only get this movie for the past couple of months at Redbox. That's all I know. And um, as we watch this movie, it's kind of one of those um, apocalyptic movies, if you will. Kind of the end of all things, you know, the world. No, it wasn't Walking Dead. That's not even a movie. That's a show. All right. But, but it, it's like the end of, of all this stuff. And as we're watching this movie, there was one thing that was very interesting to me. There were different families that were chosen. And those families were given very specific instructions. They were going to go somewhere. And they were told as families they would have one suitcase. All right? Ladies, can you wrap your head around that for just a moment? One suitcase, not for you, for your family. All right? They don't tell you where you're going, what you're going to need. It's just kind of a free-for-all of what you're going to put in that suitcase. So if you were in that place... What would you take? What would you take? What would be in the suitcase? A couple change clothes, maybe? Are clothes important where we're going? Were there going to be other people? Clothes going to be probably very important, you know? I don't know. If, I mean, is it, are we going to have washing machines where we're going? I don't know, all right? So maybe a couple pairs of clothes. What about medicine? I'm a type 1 diabetic, so is my wife. So if we were chosen, I'd definitely be taking some medicine, I think, at least for a little while. Um, so maybe you would have some sort of medicine. What about a phone charger, all right? Are there going to be phones? I don't know. I don't know, but just in case, you're going to feel awful stupid if you didn't have your phone charger, right? What about, let's get spiritual for a moment, what about your Bible? Well, preacher, I got it all right up here. You got it memorized? That is impressive. Maybe you would put that in there. What about, I mean, is it going to be dangerous? What about, a, what about a pistol and a few cartridges? I mean, is that something you're going to throw in there? I don't know. Now, I know my family, and more specifically, our girls, snacks. I mean, how long are we going to be on this trip? How long are we going to be there? You got to have some snacks, all right? Let your mind go with it for just a moment. And not only in the material way of material possessions. What is priority in your life? What is important in your life? If you had a figurative suitcase of what you can take mentally with you, what would it be? You know, the interesting thing about Jesus, when he walked in this world, he said the words himself. When he was asked about where he was going to be followed, he said something along these lines. He said, the Son of Man himself has no home in which to lay his head. The birds have nests, the foxes have dens, the Son of Man got nothing. He was a sojourner. He went from place to place. And it seems like when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he had very few material possessions. And if you were to ask Jesus what was so very important to him, what was important to him, what would go in his suitcase, what would go in his figurative mental suitcase, what would it be? I know one thing that was very important to Jesus, that was his people, all right? Very important to him. But there's something else that was vitally important to Christ as he walked in this world. And I'll give you a hint. It had a lot to do with communication. You see, no one who has ever walked in this world, no one 
has had a closer relationship with God the Father than Jesus Christ. The unity between those two was to such a level that Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. We see it. He said, I and the Father are one. So we are talking about a harmony and a unity here that is hard to even fathom. Okay? And that's what makes this verse we're going to look at so incredibly important to us. Look to Luke. Let's say we're going to start in Luke. We're never going to leave the Gospels, but we're going to begin with Luke. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 16. This is what we're told from eyewitness account. Now, Luke wasn't the eyewitness, but he interviewed eyewitnesses when he put his account together. So this is eyewitness account from Jesus' followers, his apostles specifically. And this is what they said about Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and camp. Right? Is that what he'd do? Pack a tent? No? But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Okay, let me get my head wrapped around this just for a second. We're talking about Jesus who has such a unity with God the Father that he can, he can describe it in this way. We are one. If Jesus needed prayer, what does that say about our need for prayer? Although Jesus prayed often, as we see right here, and we'll see other times where it is told to us that Jesus went alone to be by himself, not just to rest, but to pray. We see this a number of different times. And although we get from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we get this, Jesus prayed often. The thing is, we don't often get the content of those prayers. As a matter of fact, what we call the Lord's Prayer would better be described as the disciples' prayer. Because the reason we have the Lord's Prayer, we see it in the Sermon on the Mount, but we see it in another occasion as well, when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them an example for them to pray. Now, the Lord's Prayer is incredibly important when we open this subject of prayer, but we're not going to touch on it today. The reason why is, I think in your chapter this week that you look in Core 52, that's going to be discussed at length. So we're going to leave that alone for our own study this week. And what we're going to look to instead is this, the actual prayers of Jesus. And we don't get a lot of them. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at four of these Jesus prayers, if you will, and see what we can learn from them. First of all, turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. Once you get there, turn to verses 25 and 26. Matthew 11, 25. And 26. This is what it says. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well pleasing 
in your sight. Now understand something. When Jesus says this prayer, he says one very similar to it in the Gospel of Luke. And he's not talking about physical infants here. He's talking about spiritual infants, mental infants, if you will. What I mean by that, it's this, the humble. In Matthew, the one that we just read, Jesus has just wrapped up a basically a, a rebuke of some of the cities that he performed his miracles in. And the result was the people didn't repent. He's like, you've seen amazing things and you didn't turn to follow me. What is the problem? What is the problem? And then he leaves that situation. You know what the problem is? Let's do that for just a moment. I can tell you the number one reason for the problem of anybody coming to Jesus. Now, there's probably a top five of those. Somewhere in that top five, you'd find guilt. People are like, I'm just, I can't, I can't come to Jesus. I'm, I'm not good enough. You're right, you're not, but that doesn't mean you can't come to Jesus. And it'd probably be somewhere on that list, but you know what number one on the list is? Pride. The proud. Because they think they can handle it themselves. They don't need any help, and I'm not gonna put anybody else in charge of my life. Just not gonna do it. And what you have here is prideful cities who saw the miracles of Jesus but would not listen to his words and repent and turn their lives around. And then when you turn over to Luke and see Jesus say words very similar to this, it's a whole different occasion. Jesus had sent out his apostles in twos, two by two, and they went out and they, they, they preached the gospel. Now, when I say the gospel, just the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ hadn't happened yet, but they're preaching about the coming kingdom of God and that the Son of God was here. And they went from town to town and they preached and they came back to Jesus and they were so excited. They said, even this demon submitted to us in your name. Lord, they were so excited. And Jesus was excited with them. And Jesus made this statement, this prayer. He says, I thank you, Father. That you have revealed these things, not to the proud, but to the humble, to these infants. Now, as I said, his disciples were not infants, but they were humble. The humble are always welcome to God's kingdom. You know what else that this prayer of Jesus makes very, very clear? It makes this clear. That access to God has nothing to do with pedigree. Nothing. The lowly in the world's view those who are on the lower end of the totem pole or the ladder, they never get bumped to the back of the prayer line. Ever. Now I say that tongue in cheek because we're praying to a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all so many other things. He knows our prayers before we even pray them. And yet we're told to pray. But what I'm saying figuratively is this. No one is too humble to be heard by God. Matter of fact, according to scripture, those are probably the ones that get heard first, if you will. Again, access to God has nothing to do with pedigree. When so much in this world has to do with pedigree and power and wealth, it's not that way in God's kingdom. All right, turn over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I'm going to turn there myself because I'm going to get lost here in a moment if I don't turn there and have it waiting for me. John chapter 11. You know, I wonder, I bet, I'd be willing to bet that we have a few coaches in here. Now, not people who probably wanted to be coaches, but, um, but sometimes the, the reality of the situation is they need a coach, so I'm going to coach. I coached soccer for four years. I know nothing about soccer. 
Nothing. Guess what? None of the other coaches knew anything about soccer either. And the rec league did not care. They just wanted you out there trying to keep those kids and their parents under control. All right? Okay. So I don't know a lot about coaching, but I bet there's a few of you in here who have done some coaching and probably know a little bit about it. And I've wondered, I've been to a lot of sporting events, and sometimes I've wondered when you're dealing with one of these coaches, if, if they're hollering stuff sometimes just for the benefit of the parents. You know? You know, the, some of the best teams out there coach themselves. They, they really do. And I don't care if you're talking about professional sports all the way down to, to the littlest of the little league, right? There are some teams that get it. There are some teams that are on the same page with the coach to such a level that the coach really doesn't have to say a whole lot during the game because they just get it. And you're as a parent thinking, they're not even coaching. Well, it's because they're coaching in practice. Come on, right? Jesus and his father, they're the ultimate dream team. Always on the same page. Always. And sometimes I believe Jesus prayed aloud merely for the benefit of those who were around him while he was praying. You don't believe me? Well, I can give you an example in John chapter 11. This is what's taking place. This is, this is a much later period of time than the last prayer we looked at of Jesus. This is getting very close, very near to the end, and there's a tomb involved, but it's not yet Jesus' tomb. It's a tomb of one of his friends, and his, friend name was, his friend's name was Lazarus. And there were those who were like, who were, I mean, and specifically Lazarus' sisters as well as the friends, they're like, man, why did Jesus get here so late? If he'd just been here a few days ago, he, could he have not saved this, this man just like he'd saved others? And this man's a friend of his, a close friend of his. And Jesus goes to the tomb, and he tells them to move the stone from the tomb. And Martha's like, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. It's going to stink. You know, he's been in there four days. All right, go, Martha. She's very pragmatic, all right? So uh, Jesus just kind of looks at her and says, do you believe? Okay, let's continue on. And then see what Jesus, he doesn't speak first. He prays first. Again, John chapter 11, beginning verse 41. And he prayed for a reason. Verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. Why did Jesus pray? Aloud, for the sake of those who are around him. And this is what we understand from this prayer of Jesus. The Father, God the Father, always hears. He always hears. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, preacher, wait a minute. That's Jesus we're talking about, the Son of God. Of course he always hears when Jesus prays. I hope you've come to an understanding at this point because we talk about it really, really often, and the Bible teaches it very specifically. It's this. If you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, when God sees you, he sees his son. He sees someone who is holy. 
who is righteous because you have been made new by the blood of Jesus. And understand something. When God He always hears our prayers. Always. If you think about it for just the moment when it comes to prayer, think about how the Godhead works. When I talk about the Godhead, I'm very specifically talking about the Trinity. I'm talking about God the Father, Jesus Christ His Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all three play a very critically important, they all play important roles when it comes to to prayer. When we pray to God, the Son, He is the great mediator. All the book of Hebrews, much of it is about that. And Jesus stands in the middle between God's people and God the Father. As the mediator, God hears our prayers through His Son. The Holy Spirit, you know what the Holy Spirit does? According to Romans chapter 8, interprets. <laughs> Says, the times where we don't even know what to pray, the Spirit with groanings too deep for words speaks to God for us. And the Father always hears our prayers and always answers. I'm sorry, Garth. Some of God's greatest gifts are not unanswered prayers. God always answers our prayers. Now, they're not always the answer that we want. But he always answers. And let me tell you, Family, that is quite a team in our corner. And that's another reason why we should be praying and praying often. Turn now to John chapter 12. Should only be a page for you. Maybe it's even on the same page. You don't have to turn anywhere. As we look to John chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 27 and 28. You need to know, to, to make this really sink home to us, you need to know what's going on here. This is Monday of the Passion Week. And what I mean by the Passion Week, that's kind of what we've entitled it. It's the last week of Jesus' life before the cross. That day began on a Sunday with people laying their garments on the road in front of him as he rode in on the foal, the, the colt of a donkey, and then waving palm branches, branches, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, waving those and shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I mean, it was an incredible scene. It is just mind-boggling to think that less than a week later, some of these same people would be yelling, crucify him. So that's how the week began. Now, this is the next day. This is Monday. And Jesus is beginning to more powerfully feel the dreadful intensity of what is coming at the end of that week. He knows what's coming. Now, others should have known, but they didn't. But Jesus knew what was coming. With all of that in mind, look at verses 27 and 28. And we see another prayer of Jesus. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Let me tell you something about this situation right here, okay? Have you ever felt a responsibility of such weight that even though you knew you could not shirk that responsibility, 
I mean, it is weighing on you. But there's no getting out of it. This is something you are going to do. And sometimes it's not looking to shirk that responsibility. You just need reaffirmation from those who love you to give you the strength to endure. Moms, I want to speak to you just for a moment. Moms. Now, dads, you're coming here in a second. All right? Moms. Do you remember the... I'm not talking... Some of you have been there a number of times. But I'm talking about the first time you went to the OB ward. You remember that? And you remember the anticipation... And I'm sure there was not one of you in this room, moms, who was nervous in any way whatsoever, right? Dads, do you remember it? You see, back in the good old days, dads stayed in the waiting room. And there might be a few of you dads in here who remember those good old days. And you're like, man, those really were the good old days. There was a time I would have wanted to be a part of those good old days because the first time that my wife went to one of those OB wards, I had to be there. Not standing, sitting. Okay? You've heard me talk about this before. I was sitting. I was like, the last thing they need is two patients in here, all right? So I was sitting there near the, the head of the table, this end. Not getting anywhere down near that other end. Going to stay right here. I've got my eyes right here on you. Now, here's the deal. There was somebody else in that room besides my wife and me. Um, there was my mother-in-law. Okay? My mother-in-law, who had experienced everything that my wife was about to experience a number of times. All right? If there's anybody in that room in her support team who could empathize with her, it was my mother-in-law, not me. So I'm like, what do you need me for? I would be very happy to go sit by my father-in-law and my dad in the waiting room. But guess what? My wife did not want me to do that. She wanted me to stay right there. Let's look at these verses again. Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You see, God the Father, with all of his knowledge and all of his understanding, for the first time ever could show no empathy whatsoever to his son. That was one thing that God was not capable. Yeah, there are some things God is not capable of doing. And this was one of them. Because the Father had never had, never will experience the weight of sin. And the consequences of that burden. But guess what? Jesus prayed to him anyway. know something there are sometimes we pray to God and we're asking him what we need to do you've probably prayed those prayers before God I don't I don't know what to do right here and I need some help what what do you want me to do with this situation in front of me right here what do you want me to do that, that's that's sometimes our prayer and it's a good prayer 
But there are also times we pray because we know exactly what we are supposed to do and we know exactly what God wants from us. And we're just praying, God, I know you want me to do it. I need some help. What God wants is for us to bring glory to his name. I know that sounds kind of strange. I was spent some time this, this past week, um, and that's kind of that apologetics thing we're going to be looking at this coming Wednesday night. We, we, need, we need, to, to always have a, need to have a growing understanding of why we believe what we believe. And why we can be confident in what we believe. God has not called us to anything without evidence. And there's a lot of evidence to back up our faith in Jesus Christ. Trust me on that one. But don't just trust me. Dig into it yourself. And I found myself this week in the midst of one of those figurative rooms where you're having conversations with people you've never even met before. Now you've gotten to know them and you might know their screen name on a forum. But you don't know them. And let me tell you, many of those places, if you take a stand for Jesus, buckle your seatbelt because you're, you're going to get attacked. Okay? And this is one of the things that was thrown out to me a number of times by one specific person this past week. It was this. Man, your God must have a real inferiority complex. He says, does he just want to be praised all the time? Is he not enough without that praise? I'm thinking... Oh my goodness, if you just knew what you're saying. <laughs> you know why we were created? You know how we fulfill our ultimate purpose in life? It's by glorifying our Heavenly Father. You know what the eternal byproducts of that is? Joy and peace forever. What did Jesus say about shining a light in this world? What did he say about us doing what we do? The things that JB was talking about last week, the moral things that we do, the good deeds that we do for others so that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Guys, this is so incredibly important. And there are times we pray to God and we know exactly what he wants from us. We know it, but we just need the strength to accomplish it. Jesus went to him and said, I'm coming to this hour. Should I, should I duck it? Should I shirk it? And he's like, no, this is why I'm here. And he said, Father, glorify your name through what I'm about to do. And you know what God said? I have glorified it, and I'll do it again. Why don't you turn to John chapter 17. Just a few pages over. We're going to look at another prayer of Jesus. Now, this one's a little different. If there was one that would be labeled the Lord's Prayer, this probably should be it. This is Jesus' longest recorded prayer. John chapter 17. Whole chapter. Now, Jesus prayed this prayer after an incredible conversation and really kind of a sermon that he had for his closest followers. By this time, there are only 11 of the apostles. Judas is gone. And some people even say that Jesus did not say this prayer 
in that upper room in Jerusalem. They were even already on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was praying as they went. Because Jesus doesn't seem like he prayed with his eyes shut. <laughs> it seemed like he, he had his eyes open, and he was even looking towards the heavens above when he would pray often. But regardless, he prayed this prayer after these incredible things that we saw from Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14. And he tells him again and again, he says, do not be afraid. I am here for you always. And talking about the helper that is to come, but that helper can't come until I die, until I accomplish this task for which I come. I mean, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, some amazing things there, and he wraps that up by praying to God. Again, it's Jesus' longest prayer, and this is what this prayer looks like. You can kind of look through it yourself. He prays about them receiving strength from God's word. You see, Jesus, his task is nearing its completion. He prayed for his disciples that were there with him right then that God would give. He had given them his word. Jesus had accomplished that already. And then God, Jesus prayed to God and he said, protect them from the evil one. Now, he wasn't talking about physical protection because he had already let his apostles know that they would be persecuted. What he was talking here was about Protection from the evil and soul protection. God, guard these people of mine. And then Jesus' prayer takes a deeper look towards the future. We're going to jump in the middle of it here in verse 20. Up to this point, his prayer had been for those 11 apostles that are with him. And then he says in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Who is that? Who believes in Christ through the words of the apostles? Right, BJ, that's us. That's us. So here Jesus shifts his focus, not from the apostles, but then to the church that was about to be born. He looks deeper into the future. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, for these, but for also those who believe in me through through their word, the word of my apostles, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' longest prayer. You know what it contains? It contains this. Jesus says, people need to be strengthened by my word, by your word, Father, and the truth. And then he follows it up with this, and that they would have unity. That they would be together. When I started preaching here at Deering, a long time ago now, I was told that the town of Coffeyville had 83 churches. 83 churches. In a town of, now it was a little bigger then, you know, that was before the flood and all that stuff that's happened in the past couple of decades. 10,000 people, but 83 churches. Are you kidding me? Why? 
I'll tell you why. Because we as man have taken traditions and opinions and doctrines and lifted them above Christ. And it's unfortunate. And the divisions that exist within the church are mocked by the world. They are like, you guys, get grief. You fighting amongst each other all the time. And I truly believe that those same divisions are a major disappointment to God the Father. And the question we have to ask ourselves on a personal level is this. When we pray to God, how often are we praying for unity amongst the church? Jesus, his longest recorded prayer and a huge chunk of it had to do with this. God, you and I are one. May they be one in us so that the world will see. Yeah, Jesus had some things to pray, didn't he? As we move our time towards communion, we're going to look at the last recorded prayers of Jesus. And let me tell you something, they're not the easiest ones to look at. And they really don't need a lot of words in describing them because they do a pretty good job themselves. Turn first of all to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, 36, he prayed this prayer after his longest recorded prayer. This was in Gethsemane. And he was saying, Abba, Father. Understand, when he's making that statement, he's, he's saying the best translation for, for us in our language is Daddy. says, Dad, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. Jesus prayed this prayer on his face on the ground. We've talked about it in recent weeks. We won't spend a lot of time on it. But understand, there was a battle going on raging within our Savior. And the cross was not an easy task for him. And the sin that you and I have committed was not an easy burden for him. Turn from there to Luke chapter 23. That was late into the night when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, an hour to the next day. And I will tell you this now. Keep a finger in Luke 23. We'll come back to it here in just a second. First of all, Luke 23, verses 35 through 37. The people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. 
Let him save himself if this is the Christ, the chosen one, the Christ of God, his chosen one. The guards also mocked him, coming up to him, offering sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. So that's what Jesus was experiencing on the cross, but this is what he prayed before that, verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. Like I said, stick a finger in Luke 23. I think that stands on its own. We'll come back to it. But now turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 46, another prayer of Jesus while he was on the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, that's the moment that God had no choice. He finally had to turn his back on his son. Because the full weight of the sins of the world have been laid upon him. And then we turn back to Luke 23 verse 46 again. And Jesus' last recorded prayer before his death. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, He breathed his last. We have a lot to be thankful for, do we not? 